this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, speaking of the union, we have a new, a new union member. Welcome, Nate Scott Smith, joining the union... He discovered us thanks to our Lollapalooza episode, actually, that just went up recently and uh, enjoyed it. And he joined the podcast. So uh, welcome, Nate. Make sure you chime in on some polls and some episode previews and join the Discord and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, all Nate exclusive. reached out wanting to know if we had an archive. <laughs> and I said, oh, boy, do we. Oh. <laughs> if, um, if you liked Lollapalooza, can I interest you in... Those episode numbers are not random. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, well, that's like, an actual count of the number of episodes we've done. Well, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of times they have episode you know numbers and the names and I don't, I don't even pay attention. So I kind of get that, right. but like, yeah, if you go back and look there, there's a lot there to dig into. So, yep. Number of the bands we covered on that particular uh, Lollapalooza roundtable We've done episodes on, so you could even just start there, go from the page, because we link to relevant pages over at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can see how is this relevant to you know various bands and influences and bands that they played with and sounded like and all those sorts of things. Uh, we, uh, we connect them so you can easily find other episodes that might be of interest to you. Now, I mentioned uh, patrons having exclusive uh, content to access one of those things is that they get to vote in our monthly polls and this was a special poll jake this is the first time we we put together a poll or you did specifically i didn't really do anything uh in which all of the bands were fairly not well known yeah because we got some feedback that the big bands should maybe get their own poll uh, if they sold you know diamond or gold or platinum or whatever and i'd like to say that you know, I crafted this, but this is just this is how they came out of the hopper. I take them in the order we get them, one submission per person. And we had a long string of months where we had what was considered, you know, big records mm-hmm. um, in our polls. And I pulled these nine out and it was not that case. We had broke the trend. So this is a interesting collection of artists. Most of which, I mean, probably half. I would say half of which we we either are not familiar with at all or maybe we just heard the name and that's it. I think maybe one or two have actually been in previous polls. I yeah, want to say... Sandbox well, for sure. Yeah, and ho- maybe Holly McNarlin. So let's go through this. These were the nine albums suggested. Uh, Gary Moran suggested Bionic by Sandbox. Jeremy Amend suggested Too Many Days Without Thinking by Swell. Eric Peterson suggested Hey Zeus by X. Richard Waterman suggested Hex by Bark Psychosis. Darren Lehman suggested Stuff by Holly McNarlin. 
Joe B suggested the self-titled album by Super 8. Kyle Bittner suggested The Reality of My Surroundings by Fishbone. Gabriel Gutierrez suggested Heroin Man by The Cherubs. And Ryan Ludford suggested Situation at Hand by Kerosene 454. Now, I think I, I just in general, I think I know all those names, even if I don't know what they sound like, just because they all sound like 90s names. Yeah. You know what I mean? Super 8, Kerosene 454. Sure. They still sound like 90s bands. Sure. Bark Psychosis. That's yeah. Um, I had definitely heard Fishbone, probably like you, Jay, both heard Fishbone. I've heard X, but not that album. I don't think that I heard anything else from that poll. You? Uh, I have the Super 8 CD. Okay. I think I bought it out of a used used bin at some point and probably listened to it once or twice, but I don't remember much about the band. I don't know that I've definitely heard Fishbone. I don't know that I've heard that record or all of it. Uh, And that's about it. Most of these other bands I like Bark Psychosis never heard of. Cherubs never heard of. So I think Cherubs are a Texas band and have, and have actually been around a while. Okay. I, I I believe so because I've seen their name only because they put out a record recently. They're still together. And I think they played Columbus when they did. So that's the only reason that I'm familiar. But uh what matters, Jay, is the poll. And this poll got a lot of votes. Following uh uh I think Swell was um going into this had been previously in another poll and there was quite a bit of, um, shall we say, uh, grumbling that it didn't win the previous poll. So there's quite a (laughs) bit of lobbying for it to win this poll. There was a lot of lobbying on discord. Yes. Discord has, has become like (laughs) the back channel political lobbying, uh, (laughs) sort of uh, subtle, not so subtle. Hey, you you should really consider voting for swell. (laughs) Right. So last was Cherub, uh, or Cherub's Heroin Man, uh, followed by a tie with Super 8 and Kerosene 454, then Holly McNarland, Bark Psychosis, and uh, Sandbox Tide, then X, followed by Fishbone. Second place uh, was the Fishbone record, and first place was the Swell record. The lobbying one, Jay, the power of the lobbyist comes into play Dark in money. one. Dark I'm claiming money. dark money. Indeed. Uh, it's got a lot of comments. It got 60 something comments, Jay. We're not going to get through all those comments. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to get to some of them. Excuse me. I'm going to get to some of these comments here. Willie Dillon said, Swell. They're one of those classic 90s bands that definitely didn't get exposure, get the exposure they deserved. This is my favorite album of theirs, but they have some excellent other ones as well sean kirkpatrick is a great drummer and he creates some interesting sounds that sets him apart from your average drummer throw the wine is such a classic earworm of a song and it makes me feel nostalgic for the 90s even though i never heard it back then who else mentioned swell we gotta we gotta get to the swell folks people who 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 push the swell faction and of course, there's not going to be as many comments. So Jeremy Man said, all right, people, last time around, Swell received decent consideration, but those pesky garbage and live albums ruined the fun. I'm the Stacey Abrams of Swellville here to help rock the vote. <laughs> Whitney, Willie, I know you're on board, right? David well, well, said that Swell album needs to get reviewed eventually. It's too good to ignore. Phil Fleming uh, posted 
I think comments on every record. And then he ended it with just my vote is for swell. (laughs) (laughs) Whitney Bueller said, I love parts of that super eight album, but I got to go with swell. So uh, we also had comments from Darren Svedson, uh, Stephen Musinski, Paul Richardson, Richard Waterman, Eric Peterson, Patrick Testa, Gabriel Gutierrez, um, Scott Hallgrim, uh, Eric Norlander, as you mentioned, Phil, uh, and Gavin, and uh, Andrew O.C. We even commented on here about how the Swell Lobby have been working hard on Discord. Uh, <laughs> so, Jay, were you familiar with Swell? I knew the name. That was it. Yeah, I had heard the name, but I no idea what they sounded like. I going into this was expecting maybe um, something more. Uh, oh God, I'm blanking. <laughs> What's the style of music that my my bloody Valentine makes? Shoegaze. shoegaze. I was expecting shoegaze when I went into this record. Gotcha. So I'll give you a little bit of the history of this band. History of the band. They formed in 1989 in San Francisco, California by David Friel on vocals and guitar and and uh, Sean Kirkpatrick on drums. They uh, released it, uh, a debut self-titled album on Friel's Psychos Pacific Music in April 1990. Um, they had a number of people in and out of the band at guitar and bass. Um, they played, uh, they ended up, opening for Mazzy Star, um, and it got them some exposure. Um, they ended up releasing um, their follow-up record, 1991's Well, with a question mark, on Deaf American, and then from there signed to Beggar's Banquet, which was a pretty big label in the 90s. Uh, their 1994 album, 41, came out on Beggars. And then this album that we're reviewing, Too Many Days Without Thinking, came out in 1997. They followed it up with For All the Beautiful People in 1998, Feed in 2000, Everybody Wants to Know in 2001. And then a compilation came out on the Badman Recording Company label, Bastards and Rarities, 1989 to 1994. In 2003, they released Whenever You're Ready, on that was their last record for beggars then they returned back to david friel's label for south of the rain and snow in 2007 a compilation called the lost album the same year Uh, david friel put out a record under his own name be my weapon in 2009 and then a swell record i believe in 2014 called greasy and they have an active um or the, the label has an active psycho-specific music. I said psycho-pacific, psycho-specific music. They have an active Bandcamp page where you can buy this record on vinyl and and or you know digitally, as well as other releases and um, and merchandise, t-shirts and and whatnot. So it's an active, um, you know, band and and David Friel is active as an artist to this day. And on this record, just so we have the specific uh, people who played, um, as I mentioned, it's David Friel on guitar and vocals, Sean Kirkpatrick on drums. Monty Valier uh, played drums on this record. And um, 
Clem Waldman played drums on a couple of the tracks. Uh, one, three. So Throw the Wine, Make You Mine, I Know the Trip, and Going Up to Portland are the th- four tracks that he uh, played on. And it was produced by Kurt Ralski, who uh, worked with quite a lot of bands. Is you know credits with Ultra Vivid Scene and Lotion, uh, you know producing and, and mixing and and whatnot. Um, Ivy, the pre uh, Found Some Way band, and a number of others. So. Let's get into it, Jay. Let's talk about the nineteen March tenth, nineteen ninety seven album, "Too Many Days Without Thinking" by Swell. Tell me one thing you liked. This is a really uh, interesting sounding record. It uh, it's acoustic. It's fuzzy. It's roomy. You know, the drums have a real. Um, authentic, you know, natural room sound. Yet it can be kind of heavy and dark in a weird way. Like not heavy in a like maybe necessarily like a lot of distortion, overly loud. But you know, it, they do some soft, loud dynamics that work really well. You know, vocally, I like the delivery. It's a very confident little bit swaggery kind of um at times spoken but melodic voice reminded me a bit of like tim casher um sometimes um like more of a good life tim casher um than cursive well as i got on the record you know it felt a little bit like uh maybe like a lo-fi ish kind of record but as it progressed and and i thought it would be like you know anticipated it maybe being a little droney and contemplative but as the record developed I, I was noticing that there was like a classic rock element to aspects of it like some of the like when you come over that guitar intro sounds very almost like a boston intro And there were just sounds and like melodies and in sections of songs that I think felt, you know, kind of reminiscent of seventies rock in a weird way, which was not at all what I anticipated. Um, not that this record, it sounds like that in whole, but I, I was surprised by it didn't fall into some of the trappings that I thought it would in terms of being like a arty alt 
lo-fi record. You know, it went in some places I didn't expect it to. Um, they have some range that it didn't expect. You know, there's some catchy little guitar parts. There's some cool layering. There's really, I mentioned the drum sound, but oftentimes the beats can be really punchy, almost like loop sounding. Um, even though I think their performances, they just have that kind of punch to them without being like overly uh, EQ'd. You know, they just sound like, like a natural uh, drum kit in a room, like not over-processed, not anything. So there's just like, um, I think when the record works really well, make, make, make Mind You is a good example of like, this acoustic riff that's paired up with this Tom part. Um, it sounds a little mechanical, like almost like cut and pasty, but I think it's a performance. There's just really interesting feel to it. Um, you can imagine it though, being done much heavier, which I think again, kind of goes back to the, to me, the heavy sense I get from parts of this record where it's like, you can imagine another band taking that, idea and really playing up like a drop D riff and a lot of like palm muting and harmonics and making it super loud and over the top, but they don't, they take that same concept, but they don't present it that way. They present it in a different way. This more like layered textured, um, acoustic subtler kind of vibe to it. So that's just a good example of like when all those pieces come together, you end up with, you know, music that is kind of acoustic bass, but it has this punch and um, energy to it that is different. It's more reminiscent of something older um, and more classic than I would say like a typical kind of 90s um, alt rock or lo-fi kind of, kind of record. So um, I, I appreciate the twists and turns and I heard some callbacks that I thought were kind of unexpected and um, I appreciate it. What about you? Well, it's, it's funny. You mentioned at the uh, outset about thinking that they were going to sound like my bloody Valentine, because when I listened to the first song, throw the wine and it started, I was like, it has this acoustic guitar riff that reminded me of like a pavement song. And yeah. it just had this kind of lo-fi vibe and i was like okay what am i getting into here yep. and then about a minute into the song the distortion kicks on and i was like oh this reminds me of like early night not as thick and heavy as as yeah my bloody valentine but more in the vein of like the charlatans or chapter house or one of those kind of you know uk bands that were that were in the shoegaze vein or in the madchester i guess would be a you know with some of the Stone Roses stuff that could get kind of noisy.
it had that vibe and that's when they like that's when i went oh now i'm now i'm really like paying attention that you threw this at me and i liked how they like you mentioned about the acoustic it's it's interesting they it sounds like to me um a band could have written this all on electric guitar but then purposely stripped it back to acoustics yeah yeah to, to to just give you a little bit different of a of a sound. Now it's I don't know that that's how they wrote it or anything like that. Yeah, no, it, I, I totally get that. But a, a lot of these riffs, like you mentioned, um, there are parts of it where they could totally rip on on an electric, but because it's on acoustic, it has a much more like back or or pavement vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's cool and 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 different. And I I did like. You mentioned the drummer. Um, there's a lot of interesting patterns going on. I think it's the second song, um, "What I Always Wanted." It's like this. Uh, it's a this like pitter patter kind of pattern. Yeah, he's doing. Um, it's I don't know if it's it's like a two note piano part or if it's a two note like guitar part. But there's guitar. like this. Okay, and it just it doesn't sound like it's very unique. Let's just put it yeah. that way. I it's I was having difficulty and I was like, well, what would be a contemporary of this band? And I was like, I don't I don't know what the contemporaries are for this band in nineteen ninety-seven. Like this doesn't really sound like anything. Now I'm failing to come down. There was some, you know, stuff that reminded me in terms of the vocal delivery of Sparkle Horse here and there. Mm, yeah. um, and when you combine that lo-fi sound. Um, but I, I really did appreciate that when the hooks come, they kind of come out of nowhere sometimes. Yeah. And um, whether it's with Make You Mine, they sort of and Swell is, is a good name for this band because they sort of just like swell out of nowhere, yeah. um, out of like these sort of. A lot of times the, the verses are sort of droney. Um, he sings in in like a lower register, not like a, a big, deep baritone sound, but just like it, it's a much more reserved vocal for a lot of the verses. And then all of a sudden you'll hit this chorus and it doesn't always have to be distortion, but he'll there, there will be a lift to the chorus section and like, oh, yeah, this guy, he's he's got some hooks. Um, yeah. They're not always the most you know, pop hooks, but there's definitely things going on. And then once the one song that caught me off guard, uh, was track four, uh, fuck even flow. <laughs> one of, one of the, uh, several songs in the nineties that did not speak well of Pearl jam, uh, which I'm, I'm a fan of. So I, I take them, you know, humorously, but opening that song with that, like hum is that he's doing is yeah. really interesting. And it gives it this weight to open the song that made me pay attention right away. Yeah. 
And I, I really like that. And I, I, I just, I like the way he used his vocal throughout um, and not just, you know, being a, a belting singer or, and also not like hiding behind lo-fi. Yeah. Um, he's just, he's using his vocal in interesting ways um, between verses and choruses and, and, and doing things like that, that from song to song, you know, this is a 10 song record. It's fairly short. Um, we're barely pushing 43 you know, minutes. Yeah, we're we're at the vinyl yeah. record spot right there. Forty four minutes is right where we want to be. So, um, yeah, I, I there was a lot to dig into and and find interesting in this record on repeated listens. It actually, because it's in a weird way quiet because of that acoustic, you can crank it a bit a bit more yeah. and really pick up on a lot of the nuances of what's going on. Agree. I think the call out that this sounds like don't know how they made it, but yes, I agree. It sounds like they wrote this on in a much louder format and recorded it using more texture and nuance, which I think was a successful choice because I think it's hard to imagine for sure, but I could see going the other direction would make this record um, not as unique, more, a little more for, forgettable. Uh, I think Sparkle Horse is a great call out. Uh, there's like this lush, at times lush production to this, even though it's, mm-hmm. I hate using the term lo-fi, but there's like this, uh, just this honest approach to the production that is lo-fi-esque, but this can get, you know, pretty layered in, in a way yeah. Sparkle Horse can too, um, and pretty lush. So, yeah, I mean, and there's just his vocal delivery and just the unexpected uh, shifts between not just soft and loud, but I think what I always wanted track two is a good example where it shifts between a this droning verse that, that's kind of cool, but then it goes to a kind of strummy chorus or strummy second part. And the two wouldn't, you, you just wouldn't hear those two things typically together. Right. And the record plays out that way where, yes, you get the loud, soft, loud thing, but you also get these other dynamics. One, another one would be where, you know, his vocal can be kind of restrained, but then he can get very emotive, you know, and very, like very much up in the front of the mix and present. And that really pulls you in. And he does some harmonies on here that are kind of Mm -hmm. cool. Not, you know, they're subtle. They're nice. They're not over the top, like jellyfish or anything, but they add this another layer of this other dimension, you know, they make a chorus pop or they make a second part, you know, distinct. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a subtle record um, in a good way. It takes, I think the first couple listens, you may want to have one feeling about this, but then, you know, a half dozen or so into it, you suddenly start to have different thoughts about it maybe um, as well. You start to reveal, the nuance in the record and some of the textures. And like you said, like listening, I also noticed not only volume, so you can crank this record, you can listen to it quiet and you kind of get different experiences. I also got a very different experience listening through speakers versus headphones, which was kind of interesting. Like it just, the room felt different. It was punchier with mm-hmm. speakers than it was with headphones. Headphones, it kind of got more of the layering aspect of it. Whereas with the speakers, I missed some of the layers. So, you know, it gives with repeated listens in that way too. So 
Yeah, a lot, a lot going on in this record. Another song I wanted to highlight that I liked was I Know the Trip, which you mentioned about layering. That that song has some cool layering in terms of, you know, when you when it starts out, it's sort of mid-tempo and the guitars sound a little, like you can tell that there's some not great amps being used yeah. <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. They're very dialed back. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It could be like a, a little practice amp or something like that. But then as the song progresses, things get bigger and he starts layering counter melodies towards the end of it. It had a, it reminded me of, of like granddaddy in some mm. respects yeah. without the sort of the cheap keyboard sounds that would show right. up on some of those songs. But with the, with that sense of melody and, and urgency that some of those really catchy granddaddy songs have could have easily seen them, you know, in the same vibe as that. some other records in the past like this it's truly a combination of a sum of all the parts none of these tones individually are great in fact a lot of them are terrible right yeah but they're also not like you said with granddaddy stuff when those keyboards would come in you're like oh that's like a cheap keyboard like it, it is so distinctive and like you key, key, key into it that it almost mm, takes away from the whole right. whereas nothing there's no moments like on this like that on this record, like everything fits into place um, and serves its purpose. But if you turn, you know, just focused on any one or mixed out everything and just listen to one, any one of these instruments, they're not great, you know, amp tones, guitar tones, even drum sounds by themselves, but somehow when they come together, they all find their place and work. Um, right. So it's unique in that way. What didn't work for you on the record? Well, it took some time to get into the, the first listen. I, I was lukewarm on it. It felt pavement-esque and drony. And I wasn't, gra- I wasn't being moved by some of the things that I later came to, like, that I've gone through them like. So... I think throw the wine is not, I I don't find that song particularly great. I think it's one of the weaker songs on the record. It feels Hmm. like, like you mentioned, it definitely has a low, low five, more droney vibe. Um, I also heard something like it's almost got like a fun love and criminals or something, (laughs) like with the guitar and the stand up bass and the, or whatever's going on there. Um, There's just kind of like funkiness to it or something. I don't know. It's just not, I, I don't love that. I think when like track two 
when it gets a little moodier, it becomes more interesting to me. Sunshine every day is okay. It, it's again, a little droney. I know the trip is okay. So I, I think just some of the material is a little, it doesn't have the punch that, you know, that some of the other stuff I like. So there's probably three or four songs where it's like, hmm, Bridget, you love me is okay. It's, it, it's a fine enough acoustic kind of simple song. It's yeah. not a great song. You know, it, it's kind of a nice moment on the record just because it's just, it pairs down so much and it's just nice to hear like a more Spartan kind of presentation, but it's not like a, an amazing song. So I think it's really just, you know, the kind of dronier elements and some of the material that's maybe not as strong as other, um, that doesn't work for me. What about you? There really isn't a song that I would kick off. I don't, I don't know that I would listen to all of them on repeat, um, Bridget, you love me is fine. It's a just, you know, vocal and guitar for three and a half minutes or three fifteen or whatever it is. Um, I do like sunshine every day. It, it takes a while to get into it, but I like the, I like how it's got that like sort of droney musical aspect, but with these very percussive drums underneath, I thought that was a cool juxtaposition between those two parts. There really aren't. I mean, I think at Lenny's is probably a little too long, but other than that, I really wouldn't cut anything. And I, I didn't necessarily cut Bridget, You Love Me. I, I just, it's not something that I would, if I was listening to this record, uh, I know on Spotify, I, would, I probably wouldn't put that into a playlist. Let's put it that right, way. Right, right. Yeah, it's not the song that if you want to show somebody what this record's about. that you play. No, but there's, there's something cool and unique about each of these tracks, even if they're not all world beaters. You know what I mean? Like these aren't yep. all hit singles, but there's enough really interesting guitar parts, vocal hooks, even though if they're not sort of traditional hooks, they might be just like a, a little bit mangled <laughs> in some respects uh, that they just kind of work their way into your brain. But overall that I, I really wouldn't, diss anything to uh use a 90s parlance i think bridget you love me would be a, a fine way to end the record i'm not sure that we need sunshine every day from a, just a sequencing standpoint you know just kind of end on a simple note it would, would work well for me Could be the hit yeah point. there's a there's like a cool confidence to this record like mm -hmm. we don't need to be loud i mean we, we're going to be intense and like bring some different emotions to it and some different textures but like we don't have to be the loudest band in the world his vocal delivery just has this i don't know cool confidence to it you know right. it's just like not straining not not trying too hard <laughs> like it just comes through that way like um this is who i am this is how i sing and right you know for the most part he's you know in key and can sing pretty well so yeah there, there's a cool vibe to it yeah i don't think if if this was more personality driven, like say a pavement or a back. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would like this as much. I agree. Um, I, th and I think that his laid back. Yep. This helps, uh, sell it all. And I think it helps. I think it shows that everything is very conscious in terms of what their miking choices and, and amp choices and everything, but it doesn't sound overly fussed over in the yep. sense that they didn't like record one song on a boom box and then put that in there. Like, right. There's a consistency to all this that makes me think, Oh yeah, this was, this was all intentional and 
it's all supposed to sound sort of roomy and lived in, but not sound um, uh, artificial. Yep. Which is where I get sort of lost sometimes with when lo-fi is done for an artificial result. Yeah, none of this is to like, they're not trying to rub authenticity on anything. Right. This is what this band probably sounds like live. Minus maybe some layers here or there, some little pieces and parts, because there is some like ambience in here. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I can believe this is what the band playing live would sound like. Not too much of us. I also like the point about Beck. You know, it was an artist that came in my mind as I was listening to this. And yeah, I think what I like about it is it doesn't go across that line where all of a sudden it's about one personality or one person. Like, I don't feel like I'm like now indulging in their quirks, (laughs) which in some of the music like this, I feel like you're just so like, it goes to this place where all of a sudden now I have to be like really involved with you and your life and your weirdness and like, (laughs) like whatever your issues are the way you like some of that obviously is what I want in an artist, but it like sometimes goes to a point where it's like, okay, I can't relate. And this doesn't do that, which I think why I'm responding uh, better to this than, than I might some other, some other bands that have kind of a similar sound. Right. All right. Let's get to it. Our final ratings on this record worthy album, better EP or decent single. Where do you land, Jay? Not a worthy album. Uh, like, uh, I would say seven or eight of these tracks. And the ones that I'm leaving off, they're fine. Like, they're no, there's nothing on here where, you know, I'm going to skip. Uh, I might sk- skip through the wine. But other than that, like, uh, they're fine. Like, I would listen to the full record if I was going to listen to it for the most part. Uh, so yeah, we're the album. How about you? I am also to wear the album. Uh, I, I like this record quite a bit. I think it works really well just putting it on and listening to it. And if you want to like throw headphones on and, and really, you know, pick it apart, there's a lot going on that's interesting. The, like you mentioned the layering yep. earlier. I think I think there's a lot to really dig with the, with, with this record. So um, yeah, definitely a worthy record. I'm glad... Uh, the uh, political action committees were able to get this into another poll and uh, help it win. I think the Koch brothers are involved in this. <laughs> yeah. The Mercers had to spread around a little oxy to uh, <laughs> make sure everybody got their dose and, and make sure that the coffers were well filled. So uh, thank you to, uh, I believe it was Jeremy Amend who was the one who submitted this record. Uh, thank you for doing so. And if you would like to submit, suggest a record you don't have to be a patron you just have to go to digmeoutpodcast.com go to our suggest an album page and you just put an album in there and it heads on into our digital hopper and gets spit out sometime in the future for a for a poll now to vote on it you have to be a patron which you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union for as little as two bucks a month, you get to vote in our polls every month. You get to vote in uh, every album that uh, that goes up by that's suggested by one of our patrons. You get to vote if it's a worthy album, better EP, or decent single, and comment on it. You can also hang out at our Discord, where every day there's new discussions, like Jay taking big dumps on uh, bands that cut their guitar players. Or and uh, <laughs> hey, it's not just guitar players. 
Okay. Just want to make sure you, you said that Our Lady Peace doesn't exist after Mike Turner leaves the band. Does that mean Kiss doesn't exist after Ace Freely leaves the band? Yes. Gene and Paul, Paul have gone on to make music. Some of it is good. A lot of it is terrible. It is not Kiss. <laughs> Even though they the can, Kiss logo is on the They cover. can call it Kiss, but they're still chasing the sound and living off of what they built with Ace Frehley and Peter. So in your mind, after Ace leaves, the only other Kiss album is Psycho Circus. Well, Peter doesn't play on that. So oh, doesn't Peter Chris play on? Nope. He gets, he sang on one song. Oh, <laughs> so ACDC doesn't exist after Bon Scott dies. No. So in your mind, black and black and black doesn't exist. Well, okay. Every, <laughs> every band has their own cutoff. I would say there's an art. I, I, I would support the argument that ACDC needs Phil Rudd and at least, Phil Rudd and uh, well, I would say without Malcolm, that's probably the breaking point. So, so that, that last ACDC record, Power Up, is not an ACDC. That record. is a lot of Malcolm material. So they okay. get a pass there. The album before that doesn't have very much Malcolm material, and you can tell the difference. Okay, fascinating, fascinating inside the mind of Jason Ziak when it comes hey, man, to. I don't think I'm alone on this stuff. Is okay. it? Uh, you know, they don't call it Van Hagar. For no reason. There are some good. There's something that was on the actual uh, album title. You know, it was almost. It was almost. And a lot of the. uh, I'm not the only one bringing. uh, This is the first (laughs) time you've heard this. (laughs) Really? No. No. A lot Uh, of good for Sammy Hagar Van Halen songs. It's not. So all all this can all this uh, discussion can be had at our at our Discord page, which you uh, get to visit when you are a patron. You can also. Uh, join our box newsletter, which you can read at Patreon, uh, our Patreon uh, page. Uh, or you can also sign up for it at go at uh, digmeoutpodcast.com. Every week, our newsletter, uh, two new reviews of uh, releases from uh, the 80s and 90s, uh, books, movies, music, as well as our calendar of new releases each week. And then uh, last but not least, if you enjoy the podcast, Apple Podcasts is where you would go to uh, leave a positive uh, review. Four or five stars uh, would be great. Five would be great. Four would be nice. Nothing less than four. If you put less than four, we'll come to your house and, and we'll have to talk. Yeah. If it's less than four, we're going to have to call you and ask what we did wrong. Right. And it'll be really awkward. So uh, that's it for Jay. I am Tim and we are out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Mm-hmm.